Welcome, and thank you for listening to Sandy Creek Stirrings. I'm your host, Joshua Jimenez. And if you're going to win souls, you've got to love souls. In spite of their meanness, in spite of the way they look, in spite of everything, you've got to seek to bring souls to Jesus Christ because you love them, because Jesus loved them, and because Jesus died for them, and you're trying to bring them to the Son of God. The Bible says in Psalm 84, 11, my last verse, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. I based my whole life on that, that it pays to serve God, and I believe that with all my heart. God has given us a guidebook. God has given us a directional map, and that guidebook, that map, is the precious Word of God. Listen, don't just go and sit in the pew. Find some way to serve and serve as a family. Be a part of everything at church, and when you learn to love what God loves, um, your children will learn to love it as well. Homes are not that spiritually strong. We're getting overtaken by the world quickly, but unfortunately, we're pumping all the sewage in. You know, we're letting the world in when that ought to be a haven. Well, welcome back to Sandy Creek Stirrings, and glad to have you here on the podcast today. And I am sitting across the table. I'm here in the Victory Springs Independent Baptist Church. I'm sitting across the table from our guest today, and that would be Brother Eric Joss of the Master Craftsman Ministries. Thank you for being on with us today. Glad to be here today. I am just encouraged. Uh, We met just a couple days ago and um, didn't know anything about you until just a few days ago, but now I feel like I've known you for quite some time and we've been able to talk and enjoyed it. And so I want the listeners to get to know you today. We're going to have this interview episode and be posted on the Friday just before Easter and sometimes called Good Friday. Maybe we should do an episode someday on why it's not necessarily Good Friday for the reasons the Catholics promote. And we'll find out about that someday, I'm sure. But anyway, let's get into this today. Day. Brother Joss, th- again, thank you for being on here. And go ahead and give us, how did you get saved? I love the salvation testimony of everybody. All get saved the same way, but always different circumstances. So tell us, how did you get saved? Well, thank you again for having me here today. Uh, I was raised in a Lutheran home. I was born at a very young age. And a uh, little attempt at humor there. I'm not good at it. I'm not going to quit my day job. <laughs> but uh I was raised in a Lutheran home, and I praise the Lord that my parents had me in a Christian-like home. Sure. And I'd like all of your listeners there to pray for my parents, because the truth is they're still not saved. They're trusting in their religion. And, you know, many people think they're Christians because they go to church. Right. And unfortunately, I was one of those people. Uh, Basically, I was in catechism class. Uh, basically because I had to. I was an average teenage boy who just was doing what they had to do to get through school and looking forward to my adult life. Sure. So I was in catechism because I had to be there. And one day (laughs) the pastor asked me specifically during the class in front of everybody, he said, Eric, if you were to die today and stand before God and he was to say, why should I let you into my heaven? What would your answer be? Now that was unusual coming from the source that it was coming from. Right. And to be honest with you, I'd never given it any thought. So I just fired off the first smart mouth thing I could think of. And that was, well, you know, I'm a pretty good kid and I don't run and chew and smoke and run with the girls that do. So I'd probably get in. Yeah. And he looked at me and he said, no, Eric, it's because Christ died for your sin. And, you know, that sounds pretty good on the surface. Right. But the truth was, all it was was a head knowledge. And I looked at it kind of like, well, now I have the answer. And I almost looked at it, you know, this isn't a good example, but it was kind of like the speakeasies during prohibition Okay, that I was going to walk up to this door and I was going to knock on it, the gates of heaven, and I was going to have the door slide open and they were going to say, what's the password? And I was going to say, well, Jesus died for my sins. I don't think it works that way. I don't, I know it doesn't work (laughs) that way. That's not scriptural. The Bible does not talk about that at all. Sure. And so the unfortunate part was I was secure. Yeah. I knew the answers now. And so I went on with life thinking, no problem. I have the answers. And I started uh, dating my future wife at that time, and she came with 500 acres of hunting land. Well, that's a done deal. Then, you isn't bet. It? You yeah. bet. And so, <laughs> how that worked was her dad was in partnership with two other brothers. The two brothers went to the Lutheran church, which I went to. And when I got the permission to go hunting on that property through those two brothers, they said, Well, you better stop down at your future father-in-laws, which I didn't know they were, she was going to be my future father If they father-in-law. said it like that, that probably would have scared you. Yeah, right? <laughs> I, I probably wouldn't have went down there. But 
So I went down to make sure that they knew who I was and so that I wasn't going to get arrested when I went in there hunting. Right. And introduced myself and met my future wife's brother, Roger. And we started palling around and I spent time at the farm and we did a lot of things that, you know, teenage guys do. And lo and behold, the farmer had a daughter. Okay. And that's how I got interested in her. And we eventually got a little older, graduated high school, started dating. And uh, she wasn't interested in a guy who wasn't saved. She went to the Baptist church. And so basically she wanted to know where I stood on salvation before this went any further. Sure. And the truth is I could convince anybody I was saved because I really believed I was. Okay. And, you know, that's the, the thing with a lot of religions. People are secure. They're sincere. And that's where I was at. I wasn't, you know, a big person all about religion, but I had that box checked on my list of things that I needed to do in life. And so when she asked me, what are you trusting in? Well, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Sounds great. Yeah. But see, she couldn't open my heart and take a look and see what was really going on inside yeah. of me. She couldn't tell that it was just a head knowledge. It wasn't really a heart knowledge. I didn't have a personal relationship with God. And so we went on, we kept dating, and I went to her church, her Baptist church, and then she'd come to my church. And something that I noticed that was different right off the bat was when the pastor, or preacher as we call him, would say something, he would prove it from the Bible. This is at the Baptist church. This is at the Baptist yeah. church. At my Lutheran church, it was, they read a few verses, and I'm not trying to knock religion. I'm not trying to knock the Lutheran church. But you just got to understand, there is a difference. There yeah. is a definite difference that I saw. And when he came to the parts about, you need to repent, and he showed the verses. And then he said, you need to ask Christ to save you, and showed the verses. I knew I'd never done that. Right. And I realized sitting in the second row from the back, where I still sit today when I go to my church, my home <laughs> church, <clears throat> now I go to my home church and they hand me a visitor card because I'm out on the road sure. uh, preaching all the time and, and doing projects for the Master's Craftsman Ministry. But when I was sitting in that pew, I realized I was not saved and I was yeah. on my way to hell because the Bible said so. Mm. And now I know most of your listeners out there, they don't struggle with pride, but you know I do. <laughs> sure, yeah. And so I'm faced with a problem. I'm sitting next to the girl that I want to marry. And I just realized I'm not saved. And I've already convinced her that I am. Yeah. And so I just grabbed the hold of the pew in front of me during the invitation. I was too proud to go forward. I'm just telling it like it is. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's probably a lot of people who are in that same situation that their pride just gets in the way of doing the right thing. Sure. And I just grabbed a hold of that pew and I said, Lord, I'm, I'm lost here. I'm, I thought I was on the right track, but I, I just realized from your word that I'm on my way to hell. Sure. And I don't want to go there. And I'm a sinner, and I got no hope but in you. Right. And so would you save me? Mm. And that's the day my address truly changed. Sure. And, you know, I'm just, I want your listeners to understand that you're working through these things. When you're, when you're you know, unsaved, and now you've just had your world turned upside down, and now you're born again. Yeah. And you've got a family that thinks of things one way. And I think a lot of people can relate to this. Now how do you tell your parents that I need to be baptized? Yeah, that's Because, a good one. let's face it, they had me baptized when I was a little baby. Yeah. And I just have realized, you know, in that moment that that doesn't do it. That doesn't get me there. Sure. That, that is nothing but getting wet. And if, if we could get saved that way, I'd go to with a squirt gun to everybody's door and just squirt them in the face <laughs> right. and say, you're saved, man. Yeah, you know? yeah. But that doesn't, that's not how it works. No. And so I, I went forward for baptism then, and I got baptized. And, you know, my life was basically my own. I, didn't, I, I liked the way it was. Sure. I wasn't serving in the church. But one thing that when we did get married, we struggled with was I came from the Lutheran background. And I was like, what is it with these Baptist folks? Why can't they get it done on Sunday morning like the rest of the natural <laughs> yeah. world? What's yeah. this Sunday night and Wednesday night <laughs> stuff? You know, I got places to go and sure. I love to hunt, so I had animals to kill. So yeah, <clears throat> we struggled with that. And, you know, fortunately for me, the Lord finally got victory over, over those things. Um, right. And I, I submitted and I started going to church. 
And then I'm sure you're going to ask me about how did I get into the ministry, and that all ties yes. into this. Yes, I do want to ask you that. Let's take a step back real quick, though. Sure. So raised in a Lutheran home, parents had you baptized as a baby and everything. And then you mentioned that coming out and having to tell your parents, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm going to get baptized, and probably a lot of question there. To the listeners who many of them have been raised in Catholic homes or Lutheran homes, you know, similar situations, and they get saved— how do you think they can best approach that subject with their parents and, you know, their parents still being Catholic or Lutheran or whatever? How can they best approach that to still leave the door open to conversations and being able to tell their parents about the Lord? Well, I can't speak for everyone, but in my instance, in my case, it was very evident that it they wanted to turn it into a my religion versus your religion. Okay. And that was the main argument. Sure. And Staying away from it, turning into an argument is the biggest thing. You've right. got to realize no one gets saved unless they want to. Yeah, that's true. And the, the frustrating part for the person who's trying to lead someone to the Lord is knowing that you can't force them into anything. I kind of call it like the little donkey on the Grand Canyon turn uh, tour. When the, when the little donkey sits down, he's not going any further. Yeah. And they have to come to it. And when they're secure in their religion— they're very uh, sold out to that many times. They believe it with all of their heart. And now what you're coming at it from is you're saying what you've been taught is incorrect. And that usually doesn't sit well. Yeah. We don't like to be told we're wrong, especially not men. Sure, yeah. (laughs) And, you know, my dad is a wonderful man, but he is very self-made man. Yeah. And for his son to tell him, that he is wrong is never going to fly. <laughs> yeah. And so what I've chosen to do is keep the conversation on what does God say? Yeah. What does the Bible say? Here's some verses, look at these verses. But the difficult thing that we run into is then there's always other doctrine. Yeah. We want to keep it on a biblical uh, front, and they want to turn to some other document of another man. Right. And... Keeping that focus on what God's Word is, you know, the Bible is sharper than two-edged sword, and that is your best weapon. And so I just have chosen to keep focusing on what does the Bible say. Yeah, that's good. No, you're exactly right. So that's that's how I try to win those people to the Lord. And like I said, pray for my parents. Sure. We're still in that, you know, they're still caught in that religion. Yeah. And we're praying for them. Sure. So still praying for them and moving along, and we'll get to some other things here in just a second. What do you think made the biggest impact on you as far as coming from a Lutheran background that would lead you to accept salvation? Was it the was it the preacher's delivery? Was it the Bible he gave? What do you feel it was? Was it a combination of both? What do you feel was able to get you as a former Lutheran to a place where you realized, you know, what I'm believing in is just wrong. I need to follow the Bible. Well, first I'm just going to say this. I was not paying attention during a lot of the indoctrination. Okay. I was goofing off. I was the average teenage kid. Sure. I was there because I had to be. I wasn't opposed to what was going on, but I didn't do well in school, and I looked at this as another class. Okay. And so I was a hands-on guy. I liked to be out doing things. And so the only reason I was in catechism class, as far as I was concerned, was to get out of school because it was held on Wednesday afternoons and we got out of regular (laughs) school, public school, to go to catechism class. And so fortunately for me, I didn't have a lot of the indoctrination that a lot of people get. Right. Secondly, I would say what really impressed me was that the, the pastor, preacher, when he was preaching, used God's word. Yeah. And he stressed that this is the final authority on all matters. Mm. You know, we can sit and argue about our philosophies all day long, and all of that doesn't matter one hill of beans because we didn't create anything. The Bible is the Word of God. He created it all, and what he says is the only thing that matters. It's kind of like a if I developed a game of football, I get to say, how, what ball we use, what the field is, yeah. what the rules of the game are. I get to say how the game is played. And I also get to say what the penalties are if you don't play the game my way, because yeah. it's my game. Well, God created all this. It's his game. Sure. And so he gave us the rule book to play the game. Right. 
And so what is in his rule book is the only thing that matters. And he says what the penalty is, and that's death. Yeah. In, in hell, if you don't play the game my way. And he says the only way that you can get right is through Jesus Christ. And when that preacher got that point across to me that the Bible is God's word, it's the final authority. And that all happened in a very brief time. It was like within two Sundays yeah. of me attending her church. Wow. When that happened, I at that point, I couldn't argue any longer if I'm going to believe that God's word. And, you know, it wasn't a big transition because in the Lutheran church, they use the Bible and they regard the Bible as God's word. Sure. So it wasn't a big step, but it was an important step. So then I said, if if I'm going to use God's word as the final authority, and he says, this is what I've got to do to be saved, I had to do it. Right. And I think that's a key for anyone that you're trying to lead to the Lord, no matter what their religion is. It's a, It seems to be a little easier if they're totally lost and never heard the gospel before. Right. But when they're indoctrinated into something false, getting them back to the Bible, being the final authority on all matters, if you can get that ground, you stand a really good chance. But there again, it's still up to that person. They can't do it unless they're willing. Right. No, for sure. So you ended up being there for a couple weeks, ended up getting saved, and then married your wife. Mm -hmm. And how long have you been married? We've been married 36 years. 36 years. Have any children? Yeah, we have two children, aged 26 and 22. Really? A boy and a girl, perfect family. There you go. There you go. So 36 years, uh, not a record, but by today's standards, that's really, really good. Yes. And uh, what do you tell listeners or, or people who ask, you know, how do I get to 36 years of marriage? What do I do? What do I put into my marriage to get to 36 years? What do you tell them? Well, you know, I wish I had all the answers. I think we all wish we had the answer. <laughs> but one thing that I've learned, my wife and I, we struggled. Like I said, she came from the Baptist background. She was actually in the, uh, the school of the scriptures at our church to become a, ma- a pastor or missionary's wife. Okay. I was coming in newly saved, um, had no interest in ministry, and there was some conflict there. And I'm just saying, we struggled the first year. You got to realize, I was an only child. My parents got perfection on the first try. So yeah, yeah. So they had, you know, <laughs> there it was. Sure. And my wife, she was born very uh, late to their parents. Uh, they they had a college age child already by the time she came around. So okay. she was kind of the spoiled baby. And when you take an only child and a spoiled child and put them together in a marriage, they both want their own way. Right. And so we struggled a lot. And, uh, you know, I would say one of the most important things is read God's word for yourself. And, you know, I'll just say, I didn't understand a lot of it. You know, when, when you get saved, you're going to, the scales are going to come off and you're going to understand it more than you ever did before. But sure, there's a saying, you know, when you run water through a sieve, not a lot sticks, but at least you got a clean sieve. Yeah. And so I just started reading God's word as we were struggling. And then there was a preacher that came to our church. He was a special speaker. And he preached a message about how marriage just isn't working for him anymore. And that was really an interesting message because what he was driving at was marriage isn't working for you. It's working for them. Mm. And you you needed to pray and ask God, how can I become the spouse that my spouse needs? Mm. And I realized that everything at that point, we were to the point where we were talking about divorce. Yeah. And, you know, God hates divorce. Sure. And I know that's a, a, a huge problem today, but I realized that I was not living for her. I was living for what I could get out of the marriage. And I had tried everything else, so I just said, okay, I'm going to start doing that. And I started praying, Lord, show me what I need to do. Help me to be the spouse that my spouse needs. Yeah. And I prayed that for about six months. And one day my wife and I are sitting at the table and she just out of the clear blue, she said, Eric, what's changed? I said, what do you mean? What's changed? And she said, something's different. We don't fight like we used to. And I said, do you really want to know? And she said, yeah, I do. And I told her, remember when that preacher came and preached that message? Yeah. And I told her what had happened and she started to cry. And from that moment on, brother, that's when our marriage really kicked into high gear because we both realized we can't change the other person. They have faults. They're not perfect. But if we look in the mirror, we're not perfect either. Right. 
And the truth is, again, you can't change the other person. You mm. can't get them saved. You can't change their faults, but God can. Yeah. But you can change your own faults through God's help. Sure. And so all you can do is focus on how can I make myself better for them? And I'm just going to throw a quick one in here. Go ahead. Uh, this is one of those rabbit trails we I talked like about. like it, yeah. What I came to realize is that, and there's a lot of different philosophies on this, but men revolve on, they want, they want to be uh, respected. Okay. They, that really is what a man seems to want. And a woman wants security. Yeah. And what happens is when a man doesn't get respect, he doesn't make the wife feel secure. And when the wife's not making, getting security, sure. if she can't trust her husband, if she doesn't feel that he's got the finances in order, if she doesn't feel secure that the rent's going to be paid or the, the house payment's going to be paid, that the kids aren't going to have food to eat, she doesn't give him respect. And so then you just get on this merry-go-round that's going around in a circle where the man's not getting respect, he's not giving the wife security, the wife's mm. not giving uh, respect to the man because she's not secure. And until somebody just gets off the merry-go-round and said, okay, this is going nowhere. Yeah. I'm going to just make this, I'm going to I'm gonna be the man <laughs> yeah. or the lady. I'm just going to be bigger than the other person in this relationship. Not that you're trying to you know, lord it over them, sure. but just to stop the merry-go-round Somebody needs to just say enough is enough. I'm going to live, and what does my spouse need? And from that point on, brother, I, you know, I'm never going to say that everything is always rosy and sunny. Yeah. We're human beings. We get selfish. We get jealous. We have all kinds of goofy things. Sure. But just realizing we're living for them and putting yeah. others first really makes a difference in your marriage. For sure, for sure. How does a husband, since we're on the topic, and I'll chase sure. a rabbit too, since we're on the topic, how does a husband make sure that his wife feels secure? What can he do within their life, within their marriage? I'm sure you're going to mention something about working hard and having a job and all those things. But what's some just some very practical ways, you know, husbands go home and do this today. You know, you need to implement this in your life to provide your wife with that security that she needs and also is biblical that you're supposed to be providing for it. You're caring for your wife and protecting her and the family. How do you do that? Sure. Well, I think that uh, obviously it's very important to have trust in the marriage. Um, you can't be looking at other women. Yeah. And I'm talking about even when it comes up on the TV, you, you, if you're watching the news and there's a commercial, you, know, you can't be, you, you've got to give her reasons to trust you, to know that she is the woman in your life and yeah. you, you are not interested in anybody else. That's good. Give them the cell phone password. Do it. You know, that, Everything is open. The finances are open. No secrets. I know everybody doesn't do this, but personally, we believe when we discussed a lot of this before we were ever married. Okay. And I think that's important. You know, we're not talking about a prenup, but we're talking about, hey, how do you think, what do you think about raising children? What do you think about how we're going to handle the finances? Our finances were always, we have one checkbook. It's a joint account and we're not going to go there where it's my money, her money. Right. You got this. I got that. No, we're, we're together. Good. If, if this yeah. ship sinks, it, we're both going down with it no sure. matter what we're not getting. And, and when I talked about the divorce, you know, we talked about divorce. Yeah. It was mentioned, but we were both committed. Yeah. It was not, you know, it was like, well, maybe we should get a divorce yeah. in a heat of anger. Yeah. But we were both committed. And when you are in a marriage, you have to be committed. That's what God says. You're now joined together. Yeah. And what God puts, and it's amazing how people want to ask God to be there for the wedding, but they don't want him there when they want to get a divorce. Ooh, that's good. That's <laughs> so, a good point. Yeah. So really, you know, you've got to be committed. Attend church. Sure. Pray together. Bible study together with the family, yeah. all the kids, all of that. That's so important. And, you know, people will trust God, they'll trust Christ with their salvation, but for some reason, that's where they want to leave it. Yeah. And they don't think that Christ can have an effect on their checkbook mm. or that he can run it better than they can. And we say, well, this is mine. Yeah. So really letting the Lord lead. I mean, there, there's a, a scriptural pecking order that you're familiar. I mean, yeah. it's God, the man, the wife, and the kids. Sure. 
And our society doesn't like that. No, they don't. And and they're trying to mix that up. Mm. And that's why you see our society has kind of lost its compass because we're not yeah. going God's way. We're going our own way and whatever we think. Yeah. And that just never works. No, absolutely so. not. Great, great pieces of wisdom right in there. I love what you said about making sure that you're committed to your wife and providing security for her. So married 36 years and, and going along, and you said you were— faithful to church Sunday mornings and just, but things just weren't growing or whatever. And something led to a switch. You're now here 36 years later after marriage, and now you're faithful to church. You're even doing a ministry. You're preaching. What flipped the switch? What changed? Well, I was a avid hunter. As I said, my wife came with the 500 acres of great hunting land here in Wisconsin. And uh, that was one of my gods with a small G. Okay. And, you know, I had a lot of gods with a small G. Uh, My work, the job that I had, um, I was on the volunteer fire department. I was the assistant chief. There was a lot of things in my life that I loved to do and I was very passionate about. Unfortunately, doing things at the church wasn't one of them. Okay. And I'm not trying to make excuses because that was wrong. And, you know, I look back at it and I just, I wasted a lot of good time. Sure doing things that really had no eternal consequence. And so I was involved in all of those things when hunting season came around and my wife was pretty much a hunting widow. I was gone all the time. <laughs> Anytime season was open, I was hunting. And my brother-in-law, Don Sturtz, he also has a ministry out of our church in Wildwood Baptist Church in Oshkosh called okay. Couriers for Christ. Okay. And he was presenting out in a church in Idaho. And the fellows out there asked him what he liked to do when he wasn't doing ministry. And he said, well, I'd like to hunt. And they said, well, great. We'll take you on an elk hunt if you'd like. And he asked if he could bring my bro- his brother-in-law, me, along with him to sh- you know, share expenses. Sure. And so I was thrilled. You know, that was like the hunt of a lifetime. These guys had the horses. They had the tents. And we, we would hunt about 15 miles off the pavement back where no man is gone. You know, right. it was kind of the, the thrill of a lifetime to go sure. do this. Yeah. And, uh. The, we went, and I was able to harvest a small spike bull, which was really neat because I was the first guy in my family to ever get an elk, and, and it was exciting for me. Sure. And the night that I w- we were supposed to leave, I shot my elk the, you know, just the second to the last day, and then we were going to leave the next day. And the Lord sent a snowstorm. It was not forecast whatsoever. There was no snow forecast in the forecast at all. Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, yeah. How original, a weatherman <laughs> missing the forecast. You know, right. that never happens, right? Yeah, but this is different, isn't this it? This is different. This, I believe this was 100%. God set up the circumstances just like Jonah. Because mm-hmm. we got five feet of snow and a 30-mile-an-hour wind. And if you know anything sure. about the mountains, we were camped in the bottom of the valley. We had to go over two mountain ranges to get out. And so we had to crest two mountain summits to get out. And if Oof. there's five feet of snow in the bottoms, what do you have on the top of the mountain? You got a mess. Yeah. And we were stuck. We were stuck in the truck, sitting there waiting for a D9 Caterpillar to come plow us out for four days. And while we're sitting there, you know, a lot of things go through your mind. You know, I I started thinking, what if this was my last day on earth? Yeah. How would I fare? Well, I knew I was saved. We'd gotten that taken care of. There was, you know, once you're saved, you're always saved. My my, uh, name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. There you go. I didn't have to worry about it. But then you start to think, well, did I really pay that insurance policy, that life insurance policy? Yeah. Well, if you guys could see a picture of my wife, you'd know that she's a good-looking lady, and she's a great cook, and I knew she'd be married in two weeks anyway. I really (laughs) didn't have to worry about her. Okay. But then it started coming into my mind about, okay, what if this was my last day? How Mm. would I fare with God? That's a good question. And I came to the realization that, you know, someday I was literally going to stand before him. And he was going to say, what'd you do with your life? And by the way, who'd you bring with you? Hmm. And I realized that, hey, I, I had done a lot of things. I'd accomplished a lot of things. I had a great job. I, I was, had uh, what the world would consider to be success. But I really had nothing to show for it. Because yeah. all that was wood, hay, and stubble. Mm. And it's all going to burn up. And I was going to stand there empty-handed before God because I'd never really told anybody about Jesus Christ. Mm. I'd never given anybody really seriously a gospel tract. Yeah. And so I, I just made God a promise. 
And I want you, your listeners to understand here, this was not like, oh, God, if you'll get me out of this, I'll do anything you want. You know, I was not scared. We had four elk. Three other men had shot elk. Okay. And we also had nine horses that we could eat. Sure, yeah. Now, I know somebody out there's got horses, <laughs> and I love horses. If you just put a little ketchup on, they taste fine. Yeah, yeah. But, but the reality <laughs> is we were not in danger of dying. Okay. You know, my Bible says that we're to be, you know, we're to tend to the animals. And so if it takes an animal to keep me alive, they're yeah. going to lose every time. Because there you go. We're supposed to, you know, we're supposed to manage this earth. Sure. And so uh, I just said, Lord, I came to this position where I said, Lord, if you'll show me clearly what you want me to do with my life, no matter what it is, I'll do it. I want you to understand I made that promise because I didn't believe that God could use me for anything because I knew who I was. I was a, a director of maintenance for nursing homes. I had a construction business and I was never called to be a preacher. I had no desire to be a missionary. Yeah. I was just an average guy sitting in the church pew on Sunday mornings. And if I'd have thought that God could use me, just being brutally honest here, I probably wouldn't have made that, that promise. Sure. Because I thought I knew who I was, and there's no way God could use me. And I got off the mountain, and I forgot about it. Mm. But God didn't. Yeah. And when you make a promise to God, he's going to hold you to it. He always gets what's his. He always comes collecting. And it's all his anyway. Right. He, he made you. I mean, he created us. He knew, more, he knew more about what talents he had given me than I knew myself. Sure, yeah. He knew what I was capable of. I didn't. And so when I got off the mountain, went back home, life went on as usual for a short time, and all of a sudden he started putting the vision of this ministry in my mind, the Master's Craftsman Ministry. And I was like, where is this coming from? You know, and I struggled with it. And what the Master's Craftsman Ministry is, is it's a ministry that takes teams of volunteers all over the world to build church buildings. Okay. And because of my construction background, I struggled with, hey, is this really something God's given me? Or is this just my guilty conscience with a construction background. So of course I'd come up with a ministry that involves construction. And I wrestled with God. And finally he made it clear that he wanted me to do this. And during that time, I went to my brother-in-law, Don, who was the director of Couriers for Christ Ministries. And I said, Don, how did you know God wanted you to do something, you know, start Couriers for Christ? When you ask a question like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so he, he looked at me and he smiled and he says, Eric, I'm going to give you the 10 cent answer for the $20 question. And you're going to think I'm trying to avoid the question, but that's truly what the answer is going to be. And you know, I'll bet you there's somebody here today that's listening to the sound of our voices that's struggling the same way. Right. The Lord's told him to do something. It may just be something as simple as going across the street to give somebody a gospel tract or witness to somebody. Sure. But the Lord's telling you to do something and you're struggling with it. Is this really you, God, or, you know, am I really supposed to do this? This doesn't make sense. And what he told me is, Eric, you're going to know. Yeah. And I was like, okay, Don, if you didn't want to answer the question, <laughs> just be honest. You sure, know? But, sure. And I, I, I didn't understand it, but he just said, no, God will make it plain yeah. to you. You'll know. And I didn't understand it then, but now if one of your listeners or you were to ask me, how did you know, I'd give you that same 10 cent answer. Because sure. the truth is, God just worked on my heart. He set up circumstances. He was patient with me. He knew my, he understood my fears. God knows what you're afraid of. Yeah. And so does Satan. And he'll use those things against you. Sure. Yeah. But who are you going to run to? You're going to let Satan rule your mind or are you going to let God rule your mind? And eventually we got it straight. And I went to my pastor and I said, listen, I said, the Lord's been putting this on my heart to start this ministry called the Master's Craftsman. And I don't know what to do because it's not going away. Yeah. And he said, well, brother, he listened to me. I told him what I thought it was supposed to be. And he said, and I, got a, I had a good pastor, Pastor Randy King at that time. Sure. And he, he listened and he was patient with me. And he says, listen, why don't we start here? We'll have you start doing the, the maintenance at our church. And I started what was called work night. And what we would do is every third Thursday of the month, we'd have people come, make an offer to the people of the church. I'd get up in front of the church and say, this is what the project is for this month. And we'd have a little Bible study and we'd have a, a little meal 
Yeah. You know, nobody, nobody will come if you don't have food. Sure. That's exactly and so, right. <laughs> so we'd have a little bit of a meal and I'd get all the materials together and the tools and then we'd do things at the church and fix the things that needed to be fixed. And the Lord really blessed it. We had 50 people coming. That's you know, phenomenal. For exactly, a work night. For a work yeah. night at the church. And we made it fun. But that was how the Lord got me started. And, you know, I was, I was great with it. When he said I could do the maintenance at my church, and that was serving the Lord, and that was the ministry, I was like, great, you know, I'm all about this. I don't have to sure. sell my house and move to Botswana. Right. <laughs> I can serve God right in my own church. And, folks, I just want you to understand that is ministry. Yeah. If you're cutting the grass at your church, if you're washing the windows, cleaning the bathrooms, vacuuming the carpet, that's part of ministry. Because the truth is, when a visitor comes and needs to be saved, they're already making their mind up when they drive in the parking lot what this place is about. If if the lawn looks like there's tumbleweeds blowing across it because nobody's mowing the grass or trimming the trees or the bushes, it looks sloppy. They're already yeah. making up their mind. You're exactly they right. They come in and the place is a mess. And those are all things will prevent them from hearing the gospel yeah. that anybody can do. It's true. And when somebody gets saved, if you're that person who's doing those things, you have a part in it because they probably wouldn't have came through those doors if you weren't doing what you were doing. I love it. That's right. Yeah. And so that's kind of what the Master's Craftsman Ministry is all about, is we give people that opportunity to really use the talents that they've been given. And everybody has been given something. And we're all going to, like I said, stand before God someday and face the God who created you. And you're not going to be able to lie to him because he knows how he created you. And he's kind of like going to, you know, the Bible talks about everyone's given a talent. There was three men that were given talents. Yeah. One ten, one five, and one one. And the one that had the one buried it in the ground. Mm. And when it comes to that reckoning day, if you just buried all your talents in the ground, you're going to have to give account for it. Yeah, that's right. And so we started in with, with doing that, and that's how God really got me involved. And then I went on a mission trip, and one of those Baptist preachers, you know, those guys always got a, they got big mouths. <laughs> <laughs> they always have a way of getting you convicted. Yeah. And praise the Lord, now I'm one of them, <laughs> and I enjoy it. But this pastor down in, in Amarillo, Texas, preached a message. He was building a church, and anytime you build a church building, there's going to be those that are in opposition. Yeah. And he was preaching about how when God gives you a vision, you have one of two choices. You can either do it and be in the will of God and get blessed for it, or you can be disobedient and reap the whirlwind for it. Mm. And then I was good up till that point because, you know, I had submitted. I had gone to my pastor. Yeah. I had said, hey, this is the vision. You know, I'm supposed to be, you know, helping pastors and missionaries with construction. And my man of God had said, hey, here's what you need to do. But... I want you to understand, my man of God knew me. Yeah. He knew I was a Sunday morning only guy when I was first starting out. Right. And that changed as my heart got sold out to God. We started going Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, and every time the door was open from that point on. Sure. But he understood that I had some growing to do. So when he told me, why don't you start at, at our church doing some things here, he knew I needed to grow. Yeah. But at, on that uh, missions trip, I realized that I was not doing what God had told me to do. The vision that he had given me, yeah, I was doing part of it, but I wasn't doing the whole thing. And that pastor, when he preached that message, said, by the way, partial obedience is still disobedience. Mm. And can I say that's when it just was like he took the knife, stuck it in my chest, and then twisted it. Yeah. Because I knew in my heart of hearts I wasn't doing all of what God had told me to do. And so I came back from that mission trip and I called my pastor and I said, Hey, we got to meet. And you got to understand, I'm not one of those guys that, you know, I told you I didn't go forward during the invitation when I got saved. Yeah. And so when I would call my pastor and say, Hey, we got to talk, he knew there was something serious. He knew there, you sure. know, I wasn't just soaking up all his time. Yeah. And so we met in the same restaurant that we met when I first told him about it. And I said, listen, I said, I, I really believe that if I don't get started with this and start helping pastors and missionaries around the world with their, their construction services, that God's going to take me to the woodshed because I'm being disobedient. Well, he got the biggest smile on his face, and he said, well, Eric, that's what I've been waiting two years to hear you say, let's get busy. Mm. And at that point, Wildwood made uh, the Master's Craftsman Ministry, an official ministry of the church. And since then, we've done projects on five of the seven continents. And wow. 
It's just amazing what the Lord has been able to do. And, you know, I'd love to sit here and tell you I got the brains for this. But as you probably have been listening, um, this is the Lord. Yeah. If you if you would see me, if you would watch me for a few hours, you're going to say, there's no way that guy could do this. <laughs> and the truth is, folks, you know, you may be sitting there thinking, well, I'm nothing special. I'm just a farmer or a housewife or a, a factory worker or whatever it is. But you got to realize that's why God picks people like us. Yeah. Because he wants the glory. Sure. And your friends are going to say, I can't believe he's doing this. How in the world? I know he's not that smart. I know he's not that good. Because if we were, people would point to us. But God doesn't want that. He wants everyone to know who's behind this. Right. So if you think you're not good enough, look out because that's the truth. Yeah. And God's going to do something wonderful through you if you'll allow him to. Mm, mm, that's so. very good. Very good. Tell us a little bit more. You briefly mentioned it, but what what is Master Craftsman Ministry all about? What's what's it do? What is the ministry? Sure. Well, when I first started out, I, as I mentioned, I thought I was going to take my tool bag and I was going to do what I could do. I believe that that's what the Lord wanted me to do. And so I started helping pastors and missionaries with the construction things that they, they needed, just helping out wherever I could. I would take my tools and I would do what I could. But it wasn't long, and the Lord started to change my heart. And you know, folks, many times God doesn't give you the whole enchilada right up front because <laughs> you'd choke on it. Yeah. And you'd bolt and, and you'd get discouraged. And so what he does is a lot of times he'll get you into it, and then you think you know what you, he wants you to do. And then as you're going, you know, I, I would love to say that this is what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. But the truth is, I'm living it day by day. I'm following his lead every day. He's the boss. I go where he wants me to go every day, do what he wants me to do. And I don't know what he's going to want me to do tomorrow. Right. And so as we got into this, he started to change my heart and help me realize that there were so many other people just like me who were sitting there because in the church pew, thinking there's nothing that I can do for God. I'm not a good Sunday school teacher. You know, I like kids. I, I couldn't be a Sunday school teacher. I like kids because I could discipline my kids. I like right. good kids. I can't discipline your kids. Sure, yeah. And so that was just wasn't one of the things that I, I really thought I would be able to do. I never dreamed I'd be able to preach. I failed speech class. Let's face it, you know, I, that wasn't in my, my way of thinking. And so I, I really believed that there, there wasn't much I could do to serve the Lord. But as the Lord got a hold of my heart, as I kept giving things over to him, it was a growing process. And then he helped me to see that it was not about the building project. Yeah. It was about people. And the building became the tool. We transformed into our, our motto saying, first building Christians together, building churches. Mm, that's good. And so what it amounted to is we used the project kind of like you have VBS at your church. Sure. You have all the games and the candy and the hype to get the kids there to what? To hear the gospel. Exactly. Well, that's what we use the construction part of it as. We use that because many people are comfortable carrying a two-by-four or a cement block. Yeah. But they're not necessarily comfortable handing out a gospel tract on a street corner mm. or going up to someone's house and knocking on their door. And so our goal is to get them on a mission trip, get them out of their comfort zone, and be with other men and help them along in their Christian growth. And what we do is we mentor them. And this is, we like, we like to say we want the whole family there. We want this to be a family affair. Yeah. And so we take the whole family. The moms are in the kitchens. If they want to help with the construction work, that's fine. We put hard hats on the kids. They help clean up the mess. Sure. And we want this to be a family experience so that 25 years down the road, they're sitting around the Thanksgiving table and saying, remember when we went and helped that church and we put a roof on and dad was up on the roof with the guys and us kids were throwing junk in the dumpster and wheeling, us, wheeling each other around in the wheelbarrows and yeah. mom was helping with the food. That's awesome. Because truly, folks, if, if you just tell your kids to grow up and live right and get saved, but they never see you serving the Lord, that's just words. Mm. And if we can do that together as a family, those are things that build memory, and it, it will certainly go a long way in how your kids develop spiritually. Sure. And so the, the focus changed from just what I could do to what all of the men of God together could do. And we started doing projects all over the world, uh, taking teams, uh, it's, and it's been amazing to see how God has really blessed that and the growth. We've seen people transition from, yeah, I'm saved, but I was afraid to share my testimony. Yeah. To now they're very bold witnesses. 
when we do an overseas trip, we do a, a Shutterfly book, and we give those to those team members, and then they can go back to their place of employment and lay that book on the coffee table in the break room and tell people, you know, because if you tell them, yeah, I'm going over to Romania to build an orphanage with my vacation time, mm. most people are thinking, what in the world? You know, that's not one of the top 10 vacation hotspots in the world. Why are you yeah. taking up your precious vacation time to go do that? Mm. And they can share easily with them. Here's the picture book. This is why we did what we did. And it opens up the door for them real easy to be able to share the gospel. Sure. Yeah. And during that time that we have them, we also give them the opportunity to share their testimony with other men and women that are at the team. For some of them, that's truly the first time that they've ever done it. Yeah. And then there's also the the opportunity. Sometimes we have people who have religion, but not necessarily saved, just like what my situation was, where right. I thought I was, but I really wasn't. And so they get saved on the trip. So, you know, this is the Lord's work. We let him lead, and sure. we're just praising God for the, the results that happen. That's phenomenal. How long has the ministry been in existence? We started in 2005. 2005. Yes. Do you have a total how many projects you've done, or has it been too many to count by this it's, point? Yeah, I've lost track. Like lost I said, it's, it's it, people ask me all the time, you know, where have you all been? It's almost easier to just tell you where I haven't been. Sure. Because yeah. I've been everywhere, man. You said five of the seven continents? Yeah. It, and um, what kind of projects do y'all do? Is there any project too small, any project too big? What What does the ministry actually do as far as project-wise? Okay, when I first started, uh, you know, here again, the Lord has to, to teach you your limitations. And we started out thinking big. Yeah. And the as I said, the project was the focus. And so I was trying to charge hell with a water pistol, Okay, you know? And so the Lord had to teach me what the priorities really were. And so the, you know, necessarily framing an entire church building or necessarily building an entire building really became something that I realized that probably wasn't something our ministry was going to be doing. Sure. We focused not necessarily on the quantity of trips, but more on the quality of the trips. Good. In yeah. other words, the, with the spiritual aspect being the main focus. So what we do is we don't necessarily become the general contractor for a church. What we do is we meet with the church and the maybe their general contractor, or whoever's in charge of the project. And there are a lot of ministries out there that are construction ministries that that's what they do, that they become the general. And I'm praising the Lord for every one of them. Yeah. Because there is such a need all over the world for that type of ministry. Right. But truly, the Lord has changed ours to a different focus. And so we'll plug in wherever that general contractor, whoever is the person in charge of that project for that church, we'll plug into, okay, what part of this can we most effectively help save money for the church? What need is there? And then how does it fit into TMC and what we do? And is it a good fit? So not every project that we are asked to do is a good fit. You know, for example, if if your church was thirty feet sidewalls, twelve twelve pitch, you know that's not necessarily a good project if to replace the roof on that church because you know we want to get people to heaven just not on one of our projects. Right. You know, it's <laughs> not one of our teams. Sure. sure. And so we we kind of tailor what projects we take, and my concern really is not. You know, everybody asks me, how many projects a year do you do? Well, that's not my real concern on how many I do. Yeah. Anybody who knows me knows I'm working all the time. I'm working on this ministry constantly. Sure. I can look anybody in the eye and say, we're getting it done. Yeah. But it's not necessarily what they think. We're having eternal results from this. It's not just, hey, there's a building standing there that we built. Yeah. We're going to have souls that are going to get saved we're going to have people's lives that are going to be changed. And the ministry has really morphed into a ministry to pastors because a lot of these pastors, you know, they're struggling. When you have a building project in your your church, Satan loves to get in there and shake it up. Yes, He, he loves to tear it down because he doesn't want that building to happen. Mm-mm. And so these guys are beaten down, and I've had a tremendous ministry with pastors, and what do I know? I'm not a pastor, never have pastored a church, but I can pray with them. Yeah, and I can be a, a shoulder for them to lean on, and I can talk with them on the phone. And so, you know, our focus, like I said, is not the building, it's the people. Yeah. And I, not to mention, I've developed a relationship with men all around this country. 
sure. and around the world. You could drop me off just about on any anywhere, and there's somebody that could come pick me up within eight to twelve hours sure. of where where I'd be. Wow. So it's just amazing. That is phenomenal. So as you as you go and you hear word of a project, or I'm guessing maybe a pastor contacts you, what goes into gauging, you know, whether or not you'll do a project? I know you're you know, the reason you're here, we're here today is you're taking a survey, what you call a survey trip. I love the way you call it a survey trip. And you're surveying you know, what is the need? What's here? The same way that an overseas missionary would go when they'd yep. take a survey trip of that co- uh, that country. What all goes into you making that decision that I think this is a good fit for our ministry? Well, I won't build an outhouse, a doghouse, or a church house okay. unless we do this survey trip. And you got to realize that's because I am, I'm looking at these people that are going to go with me that I am entrust, they are entrusting their time with me. Right. And I'm ministering to them, and I'm mentoring them. So I look at it almost as a pastor who's shepherding his flock. Those people are my flock during that time. And I have to make every possible attempt to make sure that all of the details are taken care of while they're with me. And most importantly is their spiritual well-being. Yeah. And so I have to go to that church or that missionary, and I have to make sure that he's flying the right flag. Sure. He's got to be using the King James Bible. He's got to be preaching the gospel straight. Right. He can't be Calvinistic. He's got to be, you know, right down the line the way we are. And then beyond that, our personalities have to click. Sure. You know, let's face it, you and I get along, but there's other people that just maybe we don't click. Yeah. And I want to find that out before I have a team of 10 or 15 people with me to find out that I just can't get along with this guy. Sure. The pastor or the missionary. And so we also need to look and see how are the things that are at that place? Are we going to be working with good materials? Are materials available? What are we going to be doing for a project? What dangers are there? What kind of animals might be a problem? Are they going to get bit by a spider or a snake? Yeah. Is there civil unrest? You know, literally, I've had an AK-47 shoved in my face with the safety off. You know, (laughs) let me tell you, can I just say, when you have that, Two inches from your forehead, right? It looks like a culvert that you can climb into. <laughs> now I need to know and prep the people. You know that didn't. We still took a team there in that place, but you can bet I let everybody know that yeah. this is the potential. Yeah, and I I certainly understand there may be some people who wouldn't go on sure. a trip like that. Yeah, because it is dangerous. And people ask me all the time, "Well, aren't you afraid to go?" Well, I'd be I'd be lying to you. If I said I wasn't scared right. when I was looking down the barrel of that gun. But the truth is, I'm more scared of not doing what the Lord's called me to do because I can die in my bathtub, fall in my bathtub. Right. But if God's told me to go to Africa and build a radio station that's going to reach 2 million people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I don't go, there's 2 million people that are never going to get to hear the gospel because I didn't do what I was supposed to do. Sure. I don't want to stand before God and answer for that someday. Right. Yeah. And so during that survey trip, I'm trying to figure out all of the accommodations, how we're going to do things, how it's going to all go. Let's face it. If you're riding over on an airplane with me and you lean over in your seat and say, so, brother, where are we staying you know, during this trip? And I say, well, I don't know. We're going to find out together. How much confidence is that going to instill? <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah. yeah, you know, yeah. So, so literally, I act as a travel guide at that point. I'm, yeah. I'm making sure that all those arrangements are done. And then I come back and we pray about it, both the missionary or pastor. And we just say, Lord, is this something you want us to do? Right. And if he doesn't feel good or I don't feel good about it, before I even go, we've already discussed that, hey, this is the Lord's work. And if the Lord puts closes the door on this, we're both okay with it. Yeah. And so then we both pray about it. And if the Lord gives us the green light, again, you'll know. Sure. And so then... That's how the project is picked. Wow. I wish I could say I'm smart enough to pick them, but I just rely on the Lord. And that's, and that's what you have to do. Exactly. That's what you have to do. And then the next question that I know you're going to ask me is, how do you pick the team? Oh, that's good too. Yeah. And when I first started out, I thought, you know, I'm going to have this list of people. I'm gonna, and so when I would go into a church, I had a sign-up form, and I had a whole list of trades that were on that form. And if you were interested in helping with drywall, you put a check in the box. But if you were a professional drywaller, you put a P in that box. And I just thought I was going to get this whole big list in my computer of people who were professional drywallers or professional roofers or electricians or whatever. And then when I had that type of project, I was just going to twist their arm and make them go. 
<laughs> Good well, can I tell you that didn't work? You know, that yeah. was my idea. And, you know, so many times I, I just can't help but think God was there saying, oh, man, when is this kid going to learn? <laughs> because I had my own plans. Yeah. I had my own ideas. I was the type of guy that show me the problem, I'll fix it. So when God would tell me something, I would just kind of say, okay, God, I got it. Now I'll, I'll handle it from here. Yeah. And then it was another setback. Mm. And so when it came to allowing the Lord to pick the people, that was a struggle for me. Yeah. And what I realized is that I just needed to put the project out there, put it in the newsletter, and let the Lord convict their hearts to want to go. Sure. And I would be honest. I'd tell them what we're doing, what was expected, what the cost to them would be. And, you know, the truth is, this is kind of important. Anytime you're going to do something for God, there's going to be a cost. Yeah. It's either going to be financial, it could be emotional, spiritual, time with your family. There, there's there's going to be a cost. Right. And you have to know what those costs are going to be going in. And you have to ask the people that you're going to expect to pay that cost to be part of that decision. Yeah. So when I looked at these projects, I would then say, okay, this is where it is. This is where we're staying. This is what you can expect. Now, some people's idea of camping is having a mint on their pillow in the motel room. Yeah. But sometimes we're sleeping on a bamboo mat and eating bugs for breakfast. <laughs> and I, what the last thing I wanted was somebody who figured they were going to go stay in a motel somewhere, ending up sleeping on a bamboo mat because they're right. not going to be happy. No. And right. so I just put it out there. The Lord brings these people in. And sometimes, I'll be honest with you, I feel like Gideon because I am sent three 65-year-old <laughs> men two ladies and a 16-year-old that's never seen a skill saw before. Right. And so I'm wondering, Lord, what are you sending me here? And when I say Gideon, because, you know, he was sent 300 warriors that were yeah. chosen by how they drank water. Right. And we can talk about, well, they were vigilant or whatever, but let's face it, that's not usually how you pick your best <laughs> warriors, is it? No. God was saying, I'm going to give you the people that I want you to fight with, and I'm going to give you the victory, and yeah. everybody's going to know I did it. And that's how it is with these teams. It's amazing. You don't have to be a master of anything to go on one of our trips. You just have to be willing. If you've never done construction, that's fine. You can maybe carry a two-by-four. And you know, a lot of people, uh, just in your church here, one of the fellows was an older gentleman, and he said, well, you know, I really wish I'd have been able, I wish I'd have known about you years ago. I'd have loved to have gone on your trips. And I said, well, brother, you know, I don't care how old you are. He says, yeah, but my, my body's all used up. I can't go. I said, yeah, but you can mentor a younger folk. Mm. You can you can mentor somebody else. That sure. You can tell them, just sharing what you did wrong. Yeah. Tell them how you wish you'd have done it years ago. Yeah. Because encourage them to go now. And that kind of blew him away. So if you're out there, if you don't have any experience, we'd still love to have you go on one of our trips. And and I'm sure the Lord will bless you for it, and he'll change your heart. Sure, sure. So. How can people find the listeners, find out more about the... Uh, ministry contact you is there a website yes there is there's tmcministries.org okay you can go there and it's uh, there's a website you can sign up for our newsletter that's how you'll know what projects are coming up that's also how you'll know to pray for us sure and we'd love to have you go there and 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 then you'll get our our bi-monthly newsletter sure I prefer that they sign up for it on email. Obviously, saves us a little money on postage. Plus, we can right. uh, when we have a project that does come up, we can get out bulletins a little sooner than we can if we have to print up a newsletter and send right. it by the mail right. service. So, so tmcministries.org. That's correct. Now they can go and sign up for the newsletter. That's correct. Great. Wonderful. And so let me encourage you listeners to go back and to go to that website, sign up for the newsletters, be praying for the Joss family, and be praying about maybe God could use you in this ministry as well, maybe on a project or going overseas or whatever. I'm guessing, Brother Joss, that you believe it's important for people at some time to try their best to at least go on a mission trip. It can be life-changing, can it? Yes, it can. And I could give you, I wish you could see, if you do go to my website, you will see our video presentation. And there's several men on there whose lives have been changed by their trip with us. Right. And overseas trips just seem to really make that impact. Sure. I love how you do a, a whole family approach. And uh, we're starting to come to the end, starting to close. But um, something that you mentioned to me yes, um, Saturday it was. We were in a restaurant. We were talking about raising kids. And I'm sure you probably tell families this when they are there with you on raising kids. You mentioned something about a toolbox. Can you tell the listeners that? 
Sure. You know, I wish I could say that my kids are doing 100% everything that I'd like to do. And I struggled with it because here I am in ministry and maybe my kids aren't doing spiritually what I had hoped they'd do. And I think, first of all, Satan takes an extra swing at a ministry guy and right. his children because he wants to discredit. And I want you to understand, my kids aren't all doing nasty things. But sure. you, as a dad, you, you really have high hopes for your kids and you wish they'd do things. And something that the Lord revealed to me as I was struggling with, how can I be in ministry and feel like I've dropped the ball on something? And he helped me to realize that kids are kind of like a toolbox, when you buy a, or when you have a kid, when they're born, you just bought a toolbox. Okay. And you're going to spend 18 years putting all the tools in that toolbox that your kids are going to need to have a successful life. Now, some tools are super important, like what Bible to believe, how to get saved, what church to attend. Those are the snap-on tools. You buy them the most expensive tool known to man, and those are the snap-on tools. Now, they're a professional-grade tool. They're the best you can get. And you'll have to forgive me. I'm a tool guy, so this is kind of why the <laughs> Lord gave me this analogy. Right. But, but then there are things like how to treat people, mm-hmm. work ethic. Those are important tools. Right. But unless you have the snap-on tool and are, are born again, those other tools aren't going to be effective. Right. And so those tools, maybe you get them a craftsman tool. They're still a good tool. They have a lifetime warranty, but the finish isn't quite like on the snap-on tool. It's not polished. And so it's an important tool, but it's not as important as what Bible to use, where to go to church. Then there's other things that you teach them, like what car to drive. Yeah. You know, things like that. Those are Harbor Freight. Okay. They need the tool, but it's not something that's crucially important sure you know ford chevy whatever you know it doesn't really matter but you have your preference but so you instill those tools on them and when they turn 18 years old now you've got to give them the key to the toolbox right and they become their tools Mm -hmm. and they can choose what they want to do with those tools and you've given them the tools that as best you could you've provided every tool in the box yeah and so they can choose to take those tools that you've given them and have a successful life and, and live for the Lord and everything's great. Or they can choose to pawn the tools mm. and then they don't have them anymore when they need them. Yeah. Or they can choose to leave them lay out in the yard and get wet and start to rust. Yeah. And then when they come to use those tools, praise the Lord, sometimes they come back to get those tools. Yeah. But now they're rusty and they're not as sharp and they won't cut like they used to. And they got to be ground on a little bit. Yeah. And the Lord's got to sharpen up the edges. And that hurts. Yeah. But the point is, you gave them all of the tools. Mm. And it doesn't necessarily reflect on you because you did give them the tools, but they have a free will just like we do. Yeah, that's exactly right. And they, they have to make those decisions. And sometimes kids will do what they have to do to get through Yeah, when they're living at home. But when they actually become adults, that's when you find out where they really stand. Right. There's one other little analogy I'm going to give you that I didn't tell you about. So I'm just going to go right on with that one. Go ahead. I love to smoke meat. That's one of the things I do. I make my own homemade sausage and hams and all of this and that. I I love to make hot sticks. Okay. Snack sticks. I don't know what those are. uh, It's kind of like a little sausage. Uh, It's a a meat stick. Okay. You, You use them. You just... Put them in your sandwich or whatever. Yeah, they're they're really good. Sounds Some, great. Sometime yeah. maybe I'll send you some. Yeah, hey, I'd love it. Yeah. Uh, I'll do that. And <laughs> so, of course, how am I going to get them here? But anyway, <laughs> I'm not going to make a promise I can't right. keep here. Right, sure, but, sure. But uh, I love making these hot sticks, and I've developed my own little recipe. I've modified the one that I started out with to the way I like it. You know, the the right spice, the right bite, the crunch, the snap, the whole nine yards. I spent a lot of time monkeying around to get this right. And I can make the best hot sticks, in my opinion, and everybody else that makes them <laughs> says the same thing, but I can make a great batch of hot sticks, and I'll, and you wanted to have some, and so I give you a bag of these hot sticks, and you put them up on the dash of your car right? in the hot sun here in Florida. Yeah. Well, what's going to happen to them? They're going to rot. They're going to rot. And then all of a sudden, you decide, hey, I could really go for one of these hot sticks, and you open up the bag, and it's like, whew, what did he give me? These things stink. 
Yeah. And here he's bragging them up. Now, the reason those got uh, ruined are what? Because you didn't take yeah. care of them. Yeah, you didn't me. do what was intended with them. It wasn't because the batch wasn't good. It wasn't because I didn't put the work in to make them. It was because you didn't take care of them and use them the way they were supposed to be. Mm. That's good, yeah. And so many times, uh, some of the people that I've taken on these trips, they've had a rough childhood. Yeah. And they're just, you know, blaming everybody in the, under the sun for their problems. And a lot of times I just say to them, hey, how long are you going to blame somebody else for the batch that you've made? Mm. You were given a good set of, of hot sticks. You were given a life that you can live for the Lord. Yeah. What are you doing with it? Stop blaming other people and take your responsibility for yourself. Yeah. And sometimes that's what we got to do with our kids. We gave them the good batch of hot sticks. Sure. It's what they do with them. Right. And so if the if the batch is bad, it's not always the cook. Mm, that's so. exactly right. That's a great way to put it. I love that. I occasionally like to give the listener something a little bit different, maybe a little off topic. You mentioned you like to smoke meat. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the key to getting that perfectly smoked meat? Low and slow. Low time. and slow. And then time. marination. Getting, marination. Yep, getting the, taking your time to do this. It's not something you're going to do overnight. Um, and then being willing to experiment. Okay. Yeah. Low you're gonna have fail. You're gonna have failures. Yeah. You're gonna have yeah. some that the dog gets. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, brother Joss, I appreciate you so much for being on the podcast today and for joining us. I have heard so many different pieces of wisdom, whether it be from marriage or surrendering to the will of the Lord or to finding your place to serve in the ministry or raising kids or even how to smoke meat there at the end. <laughs> and because uh, I always want it done overnight and uh, just to be done the next morning. And but I heard so many bits of wisdom. Thank you for sharing that with the listeners today. Glad to be here. Oh, and so we're looking forward to many more episodes coming up in the future. Hopefully, maybe maybe we'll see you again soon and have you back on. And uh, But until next time, my listeners, thank you for joining us and keep looking up and keep stirred up for the cause of Christ. <laughs>